Well, we have a cat, um, Cupcake. And she's, uh, well, she's, I think, heading towards 17 years. I think Melissa could probably verify about 17, 18? 18, okay, 18. So she's getting there. And the last year's been kind of rough for a little Cupcake. And uh, we didn't know six months ago if we were going to have to take her in and put her down. You know, it's, she, uh, and we, we've been giving her some of this, this uh, silver, maybe you know it's sovereign silver or something, it's kind of like a health thing, and it's, it really does help her. Um, but she has this issue where she tends to go and throw up a lot around all over the place. And so uh, we decided at night, we know we can't have that, so we um, put her in the bathroom at night, and uh, back in the laundry bath in the back of the house there. And so if you get up in the middle of the night, you might hear her in there crying pretty loudly, like she was last night. It's like, I want out, you know, meow, 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 let me out. And uh, it's interesting. <clears throat> let me clear my voice here a minute. And so the other night I get up. She's outside Melissa's door crying because she wants in Melissa's room, and Melissa's sleeping, of course. But I hear her, and I think, oh, she's supposed to be in the bathroom. So I go over, and I swoop her up take her back to the bathroom, put her in the bathroom, shut the door. And as I'm walking away, I'm thinking, what's going through this cat's mind? Like, uh, hey, this is the wrong room. <laughs> I want it in the other room. You know? Or like, rats. Why didn't I keep my big mouth shut, you know? <laughs> if I just shut my mouth, I could still be running around the house. But now, 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 that I, now that I open my mouth, I'm kind of, I got caught. And so it's kind of interesting. That made me think about that. It also made me think about I think where I put my glasses now, too. Not very prepared. Back in 2004, and this was five years after 9-11 and two months after a terrorist attack in Madrid, Spain, killed, two, killed 200 people and injured 1,800 others. Philadelphia had a terrorist, terrorist scare of their own. It's likely you never heard about it. And the Philadelphia Inquirer tells this story. It was May, May 5th. And a conductor for Pennsylvania's Transit Authority discovered something frightening on the tracks near Philly's massive 30th Street station. It was an electronic transmitter planted alongside the tracks in the commuter rail yard. Agents from the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI soon swarmed the scene. Investigators discovered that the mysterious gadget was in fact a motion detector designed to send a signal to a nearby receiver. Tensions mounted. Finally, the train mechanic stepped forward and admitted installing the transmitter. Was he a terrorist or a disgruntled employee looking for revenge? No, the mechanic worked the graveyard shift and had installed the motion detector to sound an alarm in his work area whenever his supervisor was approaching. That way he could safely take a nap. If the alarm went off, he could get up and look busy when the boss showed up. And I thought this simple mechanic, kind of like with our little cat cupcake, kind of in the same predicament, like they, they set out with, with one desire and they ended up with entirely different results. I'm, I'm sure that the mechanic was probably like not expecting this to happen. And the one part they left out of the story was what happened to the mechanic. Did he keep his job? And I'm guessing he probably didn't, but who knows. But again, sometimes we don't always get the results that we want. And I thought about that kind of as kind of like an opening question here. Um, what does an employer or an employee look for most in, in what does an employer or an employee look for most look for most in an employee? 
And we could think of lots of things they might look for, you know, are they dependable, you know, do they show up on time, do they have good character, will they not sleep on the job, all of that. But the reality, the thing they look for the most is the results. What are the results that this employee will give to me in my business? If it's a a factory, how many pieces per hour can he uh, produce or can she produce? If it's a customer service related business, how does he do, you know, at attracting customers, keeping customers, uh, that kind of thing? They would look and they would say, okay, what kind of results will this employee give me? And we might look at that and think, oh boy, how superficial of a boss to want to consider the results of their employees. <laughs> but no, that's a good thing, right? Right? <laughs> Evan can tell me <laughs> whatever you're, you know, I mean, you're there to make money. That's your job as a business owner. And so you will be concerned with the results of an employee. The truth is all of us in our own personal lives, we look at our lives and we look in the mirror and we're interested in the results. Like, what's the results of my life? What's going on in my life? If I go to the gym and I want to work out and I go to the gym and I just kill myself for three months and it's just torture at the gym and I don't lose any weight and I don't build any muscle and I don't feel any healthier, I'm probably going to drop that gym membership, right? Or if I go on a diet and I restrict myself, you know, to the worst tasting foods and and three months later I haven't lost any weight, I'll probably drop the diet, right? It's not worth it. We're always looking for the return on our investment. And of course, our greatest investment is what? Our greatest investment is our life. Like we invest our life and we want to invest our life in this world and we want to see what kind of return there is. And for us, when we think about about the return, the results of our life, as Christians, the word for that is fruits. Like what kind of fruit is my life bearing? What's my life producing when it comes to fruit? Like, for instance, is my life, I look at the results of my life, and is, is my life peace or stress? Is it joy or anger? Is it purpose or confusion? Is it hope or despair, patience or frustration, forgiveness or bitterness? Is it love or hate, confidence or doubt, gratitude or entitlement? What, what describes my life? What describes my existence as I invest my life in this world? And we always ask that, that, that ultimate question, you know, what... What difference is my life making? Who, how is my life impacting the world around me? Is it making a difference? Is there a reason why I'm here in this world? And we're either satisfied or we aren't when we look at the results of our own life. We're in this new series we started last week, Detoxify, clearing out the poisonous because they poison us. I mean, there's things in life that are toxic to us and we want to clear them out of our life so we can end up with the results that we want to end up with. So we can end up with peace and joy and purpose and, and not, the, not the alternate. And our big idea for this, for this whole series, we, we talked about this last week, the world can be a toxic place, navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace. And so we need discernment to navigate this world, to, to discern and say that's going to be a toxic, uh, toxic person or relationship, that's going to be a toxic behavior, that's, that's a toxic attitude or, or thought or belief. And at the same time, we need, we need grace, right? For those times when we do let the toxic seep into our life and we we do get poisoned by those things that we have the grace to say, you know, I've been forgiven. I don't have to feel guilt and shame. I can move on beyond that. And that's what's going on in our life all of the time. Spiritual discernment 
and a healthy dose of grace. And we said last week, of course, for us as believers, this issue of detoxifying, like the world could get into this whole thing. Like, yeah, they could, they could have, again, a TED Talk, and somebody could come out and tell you how to detoxify your life. And, and, uh, and you get millions of views on YouTube probably. But as believers, when we talk about this issue of detoxifying, it starts for us, again, with the gospel. It starts with the cross, where Christ took all of our sin, all of our baggage, all of our ugliness, all of the toxic stuff in our life. He took it on himself. He went into the, into the grave, and he buried it and left it there. And then he rose from the grave, and he offers us his life and his forgiveness so we can go forward, so we can live a life like we never have lived before. And that is so true. And, and that's why we always say that we don't have a sin nature today, but we have a sin problem today. So God took all my sin out of my life, but I still struggle with sin. Like, sin doesn't define me. Sin is not who I am, but I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with this world. And so I need to stop and think, where am I letting sin into my life that it can be toxic to me? And that's so important to understand that reality. Here's our key verse, and it kind of explains us a little bit. Your boasting is not good, says Paul to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, which means a little sin impacts the entire body? And he was speaking about the entire church. There's this really egregious sin going on at the time, and they were ignoring it. And he said, that little sin will impact the entire body. But, but sin in our life will impact our entire body. It's one little sin that we just ignore can really have an impact on us. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be, in, be a new lump as you really are unleavened, meaning our sin nature has been removed. Like, I really am unleavened. I know I don't always feel like it, right? I don't always feel like I, I don't have a sin nature. Uh, but the reality is that is what Christ did for me. Why? Because our Passover lamb, Christ, has been sacrifice that's what he did his sacrifice did that for me and now we go on verse 8 let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven of malice uh, of and, and evil but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth so let's live a life that's true to who we are in christ now let's live a life that is free of sin that is free of all this toxic stuff and uh, all the stuff that we deal with so do you understand the dichotomy there god did something for us now we need to go and live it out every day of our life. Today we're going to look at the behavioral process then, especially the behavioral process for us as believers. Really, <clears throat> the behavioral process for us as believers so that we can come to the point and we can understand the difference between peace or stress, joy or anger, purpose or confusion. Here's the, here's the reality. See, the, the big idea is, or the reality check here, is that toxic behaviors produce toxic results. Like if there are toxic things in my life, it's going to affect the final results of my life. Again, will I know peace or stress, joy or anger, purpose or confusion, and so on? It will be based upon my behaviors. Some behaviors are, are healthy and holy and favorable, and some behaviors are toxic. And yet we're going to see today, how do we arrive at those behaviors? Because they don't just stand alone. Like there's a process of how we live our life that leads to the behaviors we, we, we display. Today, our big idea today, simply this, my behaviors should never surprise me. I thought of them first. And I don't mean like I thought of them first before you. It's like, no, it's not that. My behavior should never surprise me. Before I acted anything out, I thought of it first in my mind. It originated up here. It was a thought before it was a behavior. 
And I think we've probably heard this before. I've taught as much before, and today we're going to walk through this very deliberately and see three key steps to the behavioral process for you and I as believers so that we can live true to ourselves, so that we can live the life that Christ has given us truly free of these toxic behaviors and uh, really more than that, really our thoughts and our attitudes and beliefs. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Here's here's the, the first step on this. My behaviors are dictated by my thoughts. My behaviors are simply dictated by my thoughts, so set your affection or set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. And just understand where the behavioral process starts today for Paul. Now, these first four verses, Paul is talking about a heavenly focus, but let's read on and let's kind of juxtapose the the heavenly focus of those verses with this reality here in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in, your, in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. And then he goes on. If that doesn't describe you, he goes on. But now you must also put them all away. Anger, <laughs> wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self have put on the new self. And, and just note here, there's a couple things to, to note here in this passage. He's talking here about putting to death these, these toxic behaviors in my life. <clears throat> and it's interesting because now he talks about this wrestling with the flesh thing. And understand that when he talks about wrestling with your flesh, he's not talking about your physical body. He could be talking about your physical behaviors, He could be talking about that, yeah. It's not your physical body. It's not your actual skin and flesh. But it could be how you behave. You could behave in the flesh. And those are the worldly patterns that we act out in our body. That's the reality. But I heard an interesting uh, kind of analogy this week that we often talk about this, this concept that we're in a spiritual war, right? We're, we're fighting a spiritual unseen enemy. Like, like your enemy is not your spouse or your kids. The enemy is, you know, an unseen force. It's Satan that's trying to get you to fight with your spouse or kids. But, but the analogy was simply this, that there is a point where we do have to recognize that I do am involved in a physical war with some of my physical behaviors. Like, I need to put some of these physical behaviors to death. I need to kill them. I need to stop them. And, and again, the motivation for this really is simply because this is who I am. See, my behaviors, here's the point, my behaviors are produced by my thoughts, they're produced by how I think. But the main motivation here is that Christ has done something for me, he has made me this new creation in Christ. So note in verse 7, note the verb tense, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, like that was your your former reality. Verse 9, seeing you have put off the old self, with its practices and have put on the new self. Like you are now a new creation, past tense. That has happened. Now we need to go out in the present tense and we need to live this out by putting to death these behaviors that do not align with who I am. 
Here's a great verse to blow you away. Found this uh, at Bible study on with the men Thursday night. Titus 1. Here's what he told Timothy, speaking about how to train elders for the church. To the pure, all things are pure. To the Christian, to the, p- the person who's made right with God, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, the person that's not saved, that's an unbeliever, nothing is pure. Whoa. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Did you know that? If you're a believer in Christ, everything about you is pure. If you don't know Christ, nothing you do is pure. All your good works are like filthy rags before God. So because all things are pure, because my nature is pure, now I need to go out and live that pure life every single day. Now what we have here then in this first point is there's this goal that we see formulate here. Verse 1, Paul says that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That's your kind of like, you know, get your mind set on things above and then here put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And here's what's going on here. Here's the goal. It's living as a citizen of heaven while residing on earth. That's our challenge. And it's a big challenge. It is. To live as a citizen of heaven. Like, like I said before, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm the person that's going to heaven. That's who I am now. This is the person that's going to heaven. So while I'm living here on earth, I want to I live like I am a citizen of heaven. Philippians 3.20, Paul said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter says it from the other side. Be, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Paul says you're citizens of heaven. Peter says you're exiles and sojourners on this earth. This is not your homeland. So don't live like it is. Don't live like this is your home. Live like heaven is your home. We mentioned Daniel last week, right? He's a mere teenager, and he's ripped from his homeland, and he's taken from his family, and he's taken to live in King Nebuchadnezzar's castle, right? You know Daniel in the lion's den, that Daniel, right? And we saw how he handled a very toxic situation by choosing his friends wisely. That was all, all last week's message, choose your friends wisely. Who do you hang out with? But, but the, point, the point is this, there's a great illustration in that, right? Because what happened there was what God had told the Israelite people, there's a time coming, and I think Harold does the best job of explaining this. He's, he's the one who opened my eyes to this uh, uh, many years ago. This idea that the Israelites were taken, right, uh, in, into captivity to Babylon. And God told, remember this, fa- this famous verse? Oh, uh, here it is, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so he told them, you're going to be taken captive into Babylon, have a lot of hope when you're there. And this is what he tells them to do if you read this in the scripture. This is his instructions to them, to build houses, to start families, to plant gardens, to find spouses for their children, and to live successful lives that would make the city they were living in an even better place. They were not citizens of Babylon, but they were going to be living in Babylon, and they were supposed to go and make a difference in Babylon. And that is our story today. That, that actually is our story today. Like, we are citizens of heaven, but here as we live on this earth, make a difference. Impact the world around you for Christ. Let people... Learn who the true God is. So that's the goal. That's the goal. Here's the key, right? really, though. It's keeping our thoughts focused up above and not distracted by earth below, which is really also challenging, right? Really challenging. 
to, to think as a citizen of heaven and, and to find my identity in Christ and, and to not be distracted by this world that I'm living in. And I think back to Daniel again. Like Daniel gets taken into captivity there. He's living in that palace overnight. And I just think about, boy, he could have been so distracted. He could have been distracted by sin and temptation. Like he could have really thought, wow, I could have the king's wine. I I I could eat the king's meat. I mean, I'm not supposed to, but I could. And what an excuse to be distracted by that. He could have been distracted by his circumstances. Like, Like overnight he's in a new place. He's lost his family. Like, all of, all of the stuff going on around him could have caused him to lose sight of who he was. But it didn't. Like, Daniel never lost sight of who he was and who his God was and what he was supposed to do. I guess like the Veggie Tales, right? He learned a lot from his parents. That was that song they sang, you know, that they learned from their parents how to do what they were supposed to do. That, that, that was Daniel's story. And then, of course, he could have been distracted by his emotions, the loneliness, the emptiness, the grief, the sorrow, the doubt, the, all those. I'm sure there were a, a plethora of a, a pl- whatever of emotions that, that were just circulating through the life of Daniel. And yet he never let them get the best of him. He might have had some of those, those emotions, but they never defined him. And that's why we see da- Daniel at the end of his life praying and then going into that lion's den because he managed a very toxic situation very, very, very well. The application, there's an application in all of this, right? Is that the wrong focus will lead to the wrong results. We want, right? We want peace and not stress. We want hope and not despair. We want purpose and not confusion. And, and so the, the, right fo- the wrong focus will lead to the wrong results. I'll give you some examples here, like an injustice done to me. If I dwell on an injustice that's done to me, I will be angry and I may even retaliate. Not because I want to be a person that's revengeful. That's not who I want to be, but it's just I dwell on it and I end up Getting revenge, because I'm just dwelling on this injustice. And Paul says, don't dwell on how, how unfairly you were treated. Consider yourself a citizen of heaven. If I dwell on an unreasonable expectation, for instance, right? I can be stressed out to the point of lashing out. And then the people around me can kind of become like the collateral damage in my life. Like I just come home, and I'm just upset, and I just explode. Because I'm mad, because I have these unreasonable expectations, And again, what am I dwelling on? What am I dwelling on? Maybe you have been on the other side of that, of someone's unreasonable expectation and and they've exploded at you and you've you've taken on the collateral damage of that. We've all been through both sides of that issue, I'm sure. And then how about this? Just when there's an unmet need in my life and there's an unmet need in my life and then, well, I... It can lead to resentment. It can, it can lead to discontentment. I can look at someone else and think, boy, their life is going so well. And I have all these problems and I have this huge need and where's God? And all of that can go on. I will, I, I will become less grateful. Jealousy and, and envy can seep into my life when I focus on an unmet need. And the reality is for some reason when I focus on what I don't have, I lose sight of what? I lose sight of what I do have. That's where, that's all, it happens to us all the time. Get your focus in the right place and know that you are a citizen of heaven. And I love it in here because he says that Christ is all and in all. And if you believe that, you'll, you'll know that you don't have any unmet needs. You don't lack for anything. You don't lack for anything. One last thing here is that the, the truth here 
is that my undesirable behaviors are often unexpected behaviors. I don't really expect to, like, you know, when you think about a sexual sin, we don't expect that to happen to us. We don't expect to blow up at our family or to expect to blow up at somebody at work. Or we, we don't expect these kinds of behaviors in our life. And then they come, and it's like we're, we're surprised, and we, we really shouldn't be, but we are. Back in the Old Testament, David. Think about David's example a minute. Remember David, who... Never thought that he would murder someone, let alone, you know, even have an affair with this person's wife. He never thought he would. He was, he loved God. Second Samuel 11, 1, in the spring of the year, when the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbath, but David remained at Jerusalem. A simple little line, right? And that's where it all unraveled for David in his life because when all the kings went off to war, when his whole army went off to war, David, this time, he stayed home. And probably there were thoughts rolling through his mind like, well, I'm too important to go off to war. I've done my fair share of fighting. It's someone else's turn or I just don't feel like it. And just those simple thoughts caused him to stay behind. If he had been at war, none of this would have happened. And I'm sure... At the same time that when he saw Bathsheba on the roof, it started up here in his thoughts, right? She looks lonely. Her husband is off at war. It will only be one night. I am the king. Do you see how it happens? Really, our thoughts, our behaviors all are dictated by my thoughts. In fact, probably David might have been on that roof because he had thoughts like, hey, you know, if I go up on the roof, I might just see dot, dot, dot. My behaviors are dictated by my thoughts. And so should David have been surprised by what he did? He was. Nathan explained it to him. He's like, oh, wow, that was me. But my behavior should not surprise me. should never surprise me because I thought of them first because they originated in my mind before I ever acted on them. Here's a second step. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. What a great line. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. My thoughts are shaped by my beliefs. Put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And really Paul steps up here and kind of gives us this proposal. This is the proposal, right? To replace a fleshly behavior with a spiritual behavior. And we really, we understand this, right? We understand this like if we go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, you have some health issues, you need to cut back on the candy and the chocolate and eat a little more broccoli. Sure. <laughs> doctor told me that, I'd probably say, well, how, many, how much longer do I have? <laughs> but that's true we understand that we've talked about this before in regards to clothes right we've used the illustration of we put on the right kind of new creation clothes but here we can we can look at it in, in through the event lens of food right like it's like stop eating the junk food start eating more 
healthy food. Stop eating the toxic food. Eat the food. So replace your hate with love, your anger with patience, your grudge with a gratitude. That's Paul's proposal. Yet it's not always that easy, is it? You want to replace your grudge with grace, but you just can't forget what was done to you. You keep obsessing about how you were wronged and it gets you angry. You want to clean up your language, you know, you do, and replace those obscene jokes you tell at work with much more positive and and even God-affirming conversation, but you keep thinking, what will the other guys think of me? Will I fit in? The question is, is is it really as easy as swapping bad behavior for good? That's the goal. In fact, that is usually our desire. The question, though, is how do I get there? Then how do I swap out a a fleshly behavior with a spiritual behavior? And the key is this. Focus on a belief to change a behavior. Like, like, Like focus on a belief that will then shape your thought so that you can begin to change that behavior in your life. And we understand how that works, right? Like, seriously, if I went to the doctor tomorrow and the doctor told me, Bill, you know what? You need to eat a bowl of broccoli every day and cut back on the soda pop or you're going to die in six months. You know what I would probably do? I would probably I would learn to eat broccoli. <laughs> or I would find a pill form of broccoli or something, you know? We understand it like... We talked, I talked last week about Chad when we changed his diet and how it impacted him when he was really young, just changing his diet. And people have realized that. Like they, they live with pain and then they realize, oh, if I stop eating certain things, it kind of takes the pain away. And so if they believe that, they stop eating those foods. Beliefs can have an impact on our behavior. If I believe something will truly make a difference, I just might make the change just might make the change. And I've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's the thing about our thoughts, is we can change our thoughts, we can inform our thoughts, we have control over our thoughts. My thoughts will be shaped by my beliefs. Let me give you three really important beliefs. These are the kind of the worldview-shaping beliefs. Like, what's a worldview? It's how, I, it's how I process the world. It's how I see the world around me. An online definition says a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. A Christian worldview sees the world through the Bible and through God's eyes. Here's three really important beliefs. What do I believe about God's creation? I mean, what I believe about God's creation will, will totally impact my life. It will, all the way down to my behaviors. In fact, the reality is if I believe that God created this world and created me and it didn't did just randomly explode out of nowhere by happen chance, then, well, hey, I'm not an accident. I have a purpose. Like those that believe in this big bang kind of explosion out of nowhere, well, we, we kind of end up then what? Well, we're just accidents. But no, we're not. We have a very definite purpose. Let's walk this through Scripture a minute. Watch this, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's the truth they're suppressing? That God's creator. That there's an actual creator and his name is God. Paul goes on. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Meaning anyone can look at God and see, look at creation and see God. You look, you can see. He's obviously there. Like this didn't just come randomly by accident. And you didn't come randomly by accident. 
But watch this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so you see what's going on here. Like they don't believe God is the creator and what does that do to their thinking? It affects their thinking. They become futile in their thinking, foolish in their thinking. Like people that say, we can overpopulate the earth. No, you can't. Like, we can destroy the earth by using its resources. No, we can't. God created it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He put the oil here. He put all this stuff here for us to live. Can we get the plastic out of our oceans? Yeah, we can do that. That'd be a smart thing to do. But, but you see where this goes. And then watch, watch what happens. So, right, they don't believe God's creator. They become foolish in their thinking, and then look how it ends. Therefore, God gave them up in the, in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so what does it do to their behaviors? They just live however they want. There's no standards. There's no right and wrong. They're, yeah. Just, just whatever feels good. We are a bunch, of, a bunch of accidental impulses that just all coalesce together in a body. That is how it all plays out. And that's what's very toxic. Very toxic in the end. What do I believe about God's son? Right? What do, what do I believe about God's son? Very important worldview question. Do I believe that he is God? Do I believe that he is the Savior? Do I believe that he... Um, do I believe that he is maybe uh, a liar? Do I, do I believe he's just a lunatic who had a Messiah complex? What do I believe about who Christ is? Either is who he said he is or he's crazy, pretty much. Those are really the two options. And how I answer that question is incredibly important. But when we say, here's what Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he said that, what he meant is I'm the way, like I'm the way to hope, and I'm the way to purpose, and I'm the way to joy, and I'm the way to peace, I'm the way to satisfaction, all those things. And so here's what people don't, most people never really stop to consider. That if I say that Jesus is not the way, what does that mean? Then I am the way. Like, I'm my own source of hope and I'm my own source of joy and my own source of purpose and peace. And, and I said it, oh, I used to say it a long time ago, like being the king of your own life. Like I wouldn't want to be king of anything, but I don't want to be king of my own life. I, I don't want everything in my life to come down to me. Because, yeah, that'd be pretty messy. Pretty toxic. But, but again, that's the question. What do I believe about God's Son? And third, what do I believe about God's Word? What do I believe about God's Word here? And, and this is really important. Again, these are three of the big questions that shape our worldview, that will shape our thinking, that will shape our behavior. Is God's Word true? Is it inherent? Is it without error? Is it trustworthy? Is it absolute? Is it complete? All of that. And what I believe about God's word is really important. Let me give you one example here. This is, this is great. Hebrews 11, 13. These all, this is the great, the great uh, heroes of the faith. You know, Moses and, uh, and Noah and all these great heroes of the faith. Joseph. So he goes here in verse 13. These all died. All these great heroes of the faith died not having received the things promised. 
But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. I love that. So all the great heroes of the faith, what they have going for them, they realized, hey, I'm, I'm the citizen of heaven. I'm a stranger in exile on the earth here. This is not my homeland. Great. Go, he goes on. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're looking for a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return, meaning the place where Abraham came from, the original homeland. Abraham left Haran or left to wherever he was originally, and he came to the promised land because God called him there. And the, the truth was the promised land wasn't always the easiest place to live in. Early on, right, there was constant fights and constant opposition and there was hardships like famines and all kinds of stuff they endured in the promised land. And any of them could have just said, you know, any of, any, any of Abraham's descendants could have said, let's just go back to Haran. Abraham wouldn't go back. When Abraham sent Isaac back to get a wife, he said, you got to promise me you're going to come back to Canaan. Like, you got to promise me. And none of them would go back. Why wouldn't they go back? They were seeking a homeland, but they knew going back wasn't the answer. They didn't go back to where they came from. But look at this. But as it is, they desire a better country than going back. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And the truth was, the truth was, the truth was here, that even as they looked at the promised land, they realized that was just symbolic of a permanent future heavenly, eternal home. Like even the promised land was not what they really wanted. It was sim symbolic of where they would be for all of eternity with God. And so it's amazing. They didn't look back to Haran and they didn't even look at the promised land and say, this is where, no, they had their sights. They were exiles and foreigners in the earth here. And I think that's pretty amazing because we often talk about their thousand-year millennial reign and whatever heaven looks like for them, I don't know, but they understood that heaven actually went beyond those thousand years. How amazing is that? Again, my behaviors should never surprise me. I thought of them first, and the reality is whatever I believe is going to shape how I think, is going to shape how I behave. That's the simple reality of life. So here's the, behavior, the believer's behavioral process. My behaviors are directed by my thoughts. My thoughts are shaped by my beliefs. And here's number three. My beliefs are to be rooted in the word. My beliefs are to be rooted in the word. Paul says in verse 16, he goes on, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And this is where we will find our beliefs. Our beliefs should be synonymous with God's word. Right? Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, seeing, uh, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Where do my beliefs come from? They come from God's, as a Christian, they need to come from God's word. And here's the thing, when my beliefs are rooted in God's word, they will be rock solid and unchanging because God's word, excuse me, is unchanging. It hasn't changed for thousands of years since it was written. What God said thousands of years ago is exactly true today. It's exactly relevant today. This was written 2,000 years ago and it describes our very existence today. Like how can we find the behavior that produces the results that we desire in our life. Ask yourself this question. What drives my decisions and ultimately my behaviors? 
What, what drives them? For a lot of people, it's their circumstances or it's their emotions. They're just driven by their feelings and they're driven by the circumstances they're going through. And I can make decisions based on what I'm going through and how I feel. I can behave in response to my circumstances uh, or emotions, but, but the reality is that will always be toxic. If you, if you respond to life emotionally or circumstantially, that'll be toxic. It'll, it'll, it'll be a, a, a dreadful life. But if you respond to your life according to the word of God, yeah, yeah, that will be amazing. That will be the amazing, the most healthy and the most holy life that you can know. And here's the reality. We live in a toxic world that is constantly pushing all these toxic behaviors on us, all these toxic attitudes and beliefs and thoughts. And we're supposed to line ourselves up with God's word. And that's a challenge. That is hard. I really... I really feel for the kids in school today. The school is so different than even when I grew up in it. Of course, that was a long time ago. But even 10, 20 years ago, it's constantly the things you're, 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 you're faced with, you have to deal with. So the key here, he says, oh, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in all your behaviors, note that all your behaviors are going to be shaped ultimately by Beliefs that are rooted in God's word. But look at this. The key here is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that mean to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly? I'll give you three simple ways we can look at that. Is It's knowing the absolute truth. Like knowing this is an absolute truth. Like we can, we can know the absolute truth about certain issues. We just can. We, we, we can debate things in society and say, what's the truth about this or that? Well, the scripture will tell us on the things that matter to God. What is the absolute truth about that issue? And in a world that's constantly pushing lies and toxic beliefs, this is really important to know. Another way is having a daily discernment. We can all use discernment today. Spiritual discernment is when the Holy Spirit allows us to process the things around us and say, is this healthy, is this holy, is this toxic? As I said, we need today to navigate this toxic world with discernment and with grace. We need both of those, equal measures. And then walking in godly wisdom. Like to be rich in, in God's word is to, is to walk in a godly, everyday wisdom. It's the ability to take the knowledge and apply it to our lives, to know how to use what we know, how to use it, how to use it and know it, how to use what we know effectively. Get it out there. The ability to apply what I believe to my own life, to apply God's word to my life. Let me give you some application here. Just, just a moment. And if you were to walk through today's passage, Colossians chapter 3, here's the point. You could go through Colossians 3. You can read it. We've been doing this kind of with the men at Bible study. It's just been phenomenal. I just have to tell you, the, the, this has been one of the highlights of the last several years of ministry here. What's going on on, on Thursday night as we get together and study the Bible and watch as we, as we kind of dig through the scriptures together. But you could do this. You can go through Colossians 3 then and say, okay, what are some... What are some beliefs in Colossians 3 that can shape my life? Okay, think of the application. Think of God's word. It's the living word. That's what makes it so powerful. It's a living word that comes alive in us, that can change us and transform us. And so, for instance, if I believe I am fully forgiven, I will experience less guilt and shame. It says in the passage, I'm forgiven. If I believe I am fully forgiven, I will experience less guilt and shame. And at the same time, I will be more likely to forgive others. 
Now, I didn't put all these on your notes because I couldn't put all these on your notes. I'll give you a bunch of them here. But if one of them jumps out, you can jot it down and say, wow. If I believe I'm fully forgiven, I'll be able to more likely forgive other people. It'll become easier for me. How about this one? If I believe that Christ is all and in all, then I will know that I have it all and I will want for nothing. You see how that belief can change the way I think and then change the way I behave. Like, I'll, I have everything I need in Christ. Why do I think I want that or something else? Or why do, I, why do I feel like I have some unmet need in my life? If I believe that I am a new man and my old man is dead and buried, I will be more likely, likely to live as a new man. Yeah. How about this? If I believe that Christ is my life and my identity, then I will be less likely to let this world define me. Like, you can't define me. I know who I am. Like, I know who I am. I believe what the scriptures say about who I am in Christ. At the same time, I will be less likely to search for an an identity in this world, which that's what everybody's doing. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're all looking for an identity. And you're looking at it from your earthly father, or you're looking at it from your job, or you're looking at it in some hobby or some talent or whatever. You're trying to find your identity somewhere. When you find your identity in Christ, the search is over. Nothing better can define us. If I believe that God's word is true, then I will be less likely to believe Satan's lies. If I believe that I am a citizen of heaven, I will hold the stuff of this world more loosely. I don't, be, I don't you know, this, yeah, I don't, this stuff isn't that big of a deal because I'm a citizen of heaven. That's my inheritance, and if I believe that all sin is toxic, then I will more readily pursue righteousness. If I believe all those sins he talks about there are toxic, that all the sexual immorality and and even just the anger and, and losing my cool, all that stuff, I will more readily pursue righteousness. The goal here is to form beliefs from God's word that will shape my thoughts and then my... Behavior In his book, The Social Animal, David Brooks summarizes vast amounts of social science research by stating that information programs alone are not very effective in changing behavior, he writes. Both reason and will are obviously important in making moral decisions and exercising self-control. But neither of these character models have proven very effective. You can tell people not to eat the french fry. You can give them pamphlets about the risks of obesity. You can deliver sermons urging them to exercise self-control and not to eat the fry. And in their non-hungry state, most people will vow not to eat it. I won't eat any more fries. But when their hungry self arises, their well-intentioned self fades, and they eat the French fry. Most diets fail because the conscious forces of reason and will are simply not powerful enough to consistently subdue unconscious urges. The evidence suggests reason and will are like muscles and not particularly powerful muscles. In some cases, and in the right circumstances, they can resist temptation and control the impulses. But in many cases, they are too weak to impose self-discipline by themselves. In many cases, self-delusion takes control. And so just know that, number one, you're not defined by those you know, impulses that you have. Uh, the, 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 you, that's not what you really want. But know, number two, that God's word is a living word that will come alive in us and can help shape our beliefs and can empower us through the power of the Holy Spirit to make those changes we want to make. But we've all been there. We understand what he's saying. We know what it's like. We know what it's like. The thing that sets the Bible apart as more than just an information or history book is that it is a living word which can come alive in us. It can change us from the inside out as it forms my beliefs, which then shapes my thoughts, which in turn dictates my 
behaviors. And when the living word comes alive in you, when you dwell on it, when it dwells in you richly, anything can happen. Let me close out this point, this point three here with one last thought, and then we're going to wrap things up. There's, there's this damage to consider here, right? And that's when my faith is rooted in my feelings and not in the word of God. Like my faith needs to be rooted in what God says. We talked about this recently, right? Because sometimes, why faith is so important is that sometimes my beliefs, like I have beliefs, right? They're rooted here. Sometimes I have beliefs though and they kind of waver and they, I, I kind of like struggle with my beliefs. And so at that point, I need faith, like faith to come along and, 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 and be the foundation to those beliefs when I can't see, when I can't feel, when I doubt God's love, when I doubt God's presence in my life. Our faith is vital when we question our beliefs, and the danger is, is that so often in life we can, our life can be, and our faith can be dictated by our feelings, by our circumstances. It needs to be dictated by God's word and what God has said. We need to know the word of God. Here's the thing. In, in Hebrews 11, that chapter that is all about the great heroes of faith who saw that distant yet heavenly home, one of the heroes mentioned is none other than Daniel. As the chapter progresses, he, he moves from talking about specific people and telling their story to just, just rattling off names of people. And then he gets down there and he mentions Daniel with three descriptive words as one who stopped the mouths of lions. That made me think of Daniel who did everything right for five chapters, right? He, he was ripped from his homeland and he stood for what was right. He refused the king's food and he got healthier. He interpreted dreams when needed and, and, and spared the lives of others. He was a standout example for the Lord, so much so that when he was told he couldn't keep praying to his God, he kept praying to his God. See, he believed Jeremiah's words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And so he's thinking this as he's thrown into the lines and he's thinking, God will not harm me. But I don't think Daniel knew what would happen. Daniel didn't know if he would be a lion's lunch or a lion's supper, whatever it is, or if he would walk out with a story to tell the next morning. He didn't know, but it didn't matter regardless of it. When he was in that... that, Den overnight, when he was in there, I guess at some point he realized what God's plan was, but, but as he's in that den, he just has faith. He just has faith, and he's not guarded by his feelings, but he has the faith, and he believes in the word of God. And in a very toxic situation, he found his way out the next morning. So today's big idea again, my... Behaviors should never surprise me. I thought of them first. And here again, what do we see today? Well, here's the first point, really. My behaviors produce my results. So the results we want in life, if we want purpose and not confusion, if we want peace and not stress, if we want hope and not despair, whatever it is, it starts with our behaviors, right? But so, so how do we get there? Well, my behaviors are dictated by my thoughts. My thoughts are shaped by my beliefs. And my beliefs are to be rooted in the word of God. If my beliefs are reinforced every day by God's word, it will change my thinking. It will change my behaving in this world. Let me leave you with this. Most of us would like to assume that we're the masters of our own thoughts. But marketing professor Jonah, Jonah Berg argues that we're influenced much more than we'd like to admit by triggers. Triggers are subconscious thoughts that influence how we act. 
Berger gives two examples. First, a research team examined how, how music triggers can change how we shop at the supermarket. The subtly replaced, they subtly replaced the store's music with music from different countries. Some days they played French music, while other days they played German music. Then they measured the type of wine that people purchased. When French music was played, most customers bought French wine. When German music was playing, most customers brought German wine. By triggering customers to think of different countries, the music affected sales. The triggers spilled over into behavior. Second, in 1997, Mars Candy Bars experienced a sudden spike in sales. The company was surprised because they hadn't changed their marketing plans. So what caused the surge in sales? Anybody want to guess? That was the same year when NASA undertook the much-publicized Pathfinder expedition. Pathfinder's destination, the planet of... Yeah. The media attention the planet received triggered people to consume Mars candy bars. If you read God's Word, if you let God's Word dwell in you richly... Let it be a trigger in your life this week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again. Thank you that words written thousands of years ago can impact our life today. And every one of us in this room, we're heading out into a new week and we know what we, we, we want to see certain results. Like there are certain things going on in our life and we don't like them. We want to change them. And it's not as easy as always just swapping one behavior for another. But let's realize that if I go to God's word and I dwell on God's word and I dwell on a belief and I let it shape my thinking, it can change my behavior. And when I struggle to do that, let me just know that there is an abundance of grace. Remind us who we are, that if we have put our faith and trust in you, that we are pure. Everything about us is pure. That's just mind-blowing because we don't always behave that way. But we're not defined, are we, by our behaviors? We're not defined by our feelings. We're defined by Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.